I also am a fan of Marco Scudero, but it's not why I buy a number 19 jersey. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Paul Molitor, right? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Hall of Famer. Every team is the 98 Marlins now. Every team is that team. All right, and we just shafted Carlos Delgado, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Too bad, Carlos. <laughs> and welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 130, which is certainly not the last episode of this podcast before the baseball apocalypse. I'm Greg Wisniewski, your host, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing quite well, thank you. And you? Got your apocalypse hat on? No, I'll no. wait till after the next podcast. Okay, seems fair. Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, we have a couple of things to talk about, which is why we did not take our customary off-season two-week delay here, uh, because Marcus Stroman had things to say and then there were people who said things about things marcus stroman said and now you know what's going to happen we're going to say things about what marcus stroman said and things about the things that people said about what marcus stroman said also we're going to talk about leadership because that's important in spring training and important to the blue jays uh freddie galvis changed his number already and we're going to criticize him for being incredibly indecisive <laughs> <laughs> we have an interview with another josh uh who you may remember from last year around this time, Josh Kuznick, who is a player agent and has strong opinions, which always make for a good interview. We have your questions. And uh, in light of the fact that the Blue Jays are not going to win the World Series this year, we're going to discuss something that they may have already won, which, uh, I mean, hey, got to start early. Win early, win often. That's what I say. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Marcus Stroman had his media availability upon arrival, I, I assume, to spring training, and he did not uh, did not talk about sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, did he? No, he certainly <laughs> did not. He was he talked to the reporters for twenty minutes straight, which is incredible. I mean, this was this wasn't like a sit down interview; it was a standing against a wall with microphones in his face scrum for twenty minutes. Now, is this not a guy who pretty much did not talk to the media after starts all last year? Um, so he, he was very careful with when he spoke to the media, to put it lightly. He didn't like talking, but when he did, it was only in this format. So he arranged. Yeah. Everybody asking all their questions at once. And that's all you get. Uh, as they say in the business wild, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. So the overarching message of what Marcus, what, what people seem to take away from this free-for-all of, of Marcus Stroman's uh, airing of the grievances, as it were, is what? Well, there are a few things. Obviously, the, the main one that people are focusing in on, and I think rightfully so, is this idea that the team has not offered him an extension and he wants one. He wants to stay. And we'll, we'll get into you know these specific things in, in a minute. And then he, he also kept going. He talked about the lack of veteran leadership on the club. And he addressed Vlad Jr. And, and, you know, how he wants him up and the lack of competition and the, the team not trying to win, which obviously is another thing that we think is very important. And we may be talking about that with a certain player agent later in the show. <laughs> it's a tie in. It's sometimes the tie ins just work out. It's coincidental, I'm sure. Um, so Marcus Stroman really wants an extension. Uh, I, the Blue Jays have really not actively pursued extending players prior to free agency. Um, you know, even even players who who we've obviously thought were were quality players, and I'm I, you know Roberto Osuna is out of town for uh, reasons that are not related to his actions on the field. But prior to that, um, you know, th there was never any real talk of an extension for him either. Well, I don't know why there would be. I mean, he was a long way away from free agency. I just mean some teams that are, you know, claim that they are budgetarily restricted will start looking at a, a quality player after one or two years and be like, okay, well, we'll we'll limit our costs and limit the time in arbitration and buy out a year or, or two of your free agency at the end. Um, Tampa Bay did that in the past. Uh, but still, the I name a player the Blue Jays have bought out of a year of free agency since, what, Jose Bautista? 
uh, Edwin Encarnacion. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I agree with you that this is not something that they've done. I don't know if that means that they won't do it. I think that part of that has been just the players that have been approaching free agency that they, you know, like Donaldson, Batista, Encarnacion, they didn't really have the desire to give them big, massive contracts. And, you know, there were at least reasons. Well, Donaldson, you know, a lot of people thought they should extend. Batista and Encarnacion at least were getting older. But Strowman is an interesting case because he's not old, but he also is coming off of what I think everybody would agree with was a bad year. He was hurt and he was not effective. So I get why they may not have offered him a contract specifically because I can't see how they could ever offer him a contract right now that he would accept. Well, that, that's my thought as well. And I, and I think that tends to be the, has been the trend with a lot of sort of the homegrown players. Uh, they are not peaking or, you know, or, or uh, upping their ability level or their performance level consistently as they approach that free agency um, threshold. And, you know, I'm, again, we've gotten into this whole back and forth about, well, it's not my money to spend. But if I'm a team, I, I need to see a player on the rise before I commit to him for three or four more years on an extension, as opposed to a player who's getting hurt more and more or a player who's had a really down year follow, following a really good year, and I'm not really sure what I'm about to commit to. Yeah. Now, Marcus Stroman did fairly point out, it's like, okay, well, then why didn't they try to talk about any extensions after I put up a 309 ERA, which, you know, okay, you know? Because your underlying metrics were the same as the year you put up the, what, 450 ERA. Right, but then if you look at those two, then you say, okay, he's a you know mid three ZRA up for three RAs three ZRA guy because that's what both those years should have been. Yep. Then there at least would be some valuation you could semi rely on. So are we now back to the, the Blue Jays? Don't do this too much. I think we are. I think that that I, I agree with that. But I think in this case specifically now, there's just no way to do it. Right, because you're gonna you're gonna. De- the offer that you're going to give him is going to be represent the depressed value where he's at with the uncertainty of his injuries and the uncertainty of his performance last year. And he's going to go, I'm better than that. Right. And I think that that would probably anger him more than not getting a good one. And, you know, this is not a, a knock on Stroman. I mean, he's a very proud guy and I don't think he's going to want to see an offer that says you're not a good pitcher. So my question is, I know the Blue Jays are home for him. But he's a New York boy, is he not? Like an, an yes, yeah. So, is is the temptation of going to to ply his trade with the Yankees or the Mets not? You know, I don't know. That would be sort of. I would just be quiet about Toronto, and I would I would also be quiet about New York at this point until I got closer to free agency. Uh, I I think that you're putting a lot of stock in wanting to play for your hometown. I don't know how much of a draw that necessarily is for players, uh, especially because his entire baseball life was either spent in North Carolina at Duke or in Toronto. I just think a lot of players want to play for the Yankees regardless because they're the Yankees. And I I would, again, maybe it's not true with Stroman, but my assumption is usually that... um, I don't know if I agree with your original point. I think a lot of people want to play with the Yankees because they pay the most money. I, I, I think past. it's no. I think it's because I, I don't think it's because they they pay the most money that so many people want to go play with the Yankees because the, the people aren't begging to go win. to the Dodgers. It's yes, it's they win when they spend that money. Um, so if Marcus Stroman is really committed to winning, and the Yankees are out there and they're his hometown team, like I just it all. I think this is kind of a silly conversation topic, though. I mean, he's not a free agent. <laughs> no, right. So it doesn't matter where he wants to play. He's still a Blue Jay for at least two more years. And I think he likes it here legitimately. So rather than you know, wanting to be saying, oh, in two years, maybe they'll want me or the, the situation work out. It's like, I like it here and I want to stay. But he's stirring the pot in an uncomfortable way when he does it like he's doing. it. Yeah, that's sort of the interesting thing about it. Like a lot of what he said, it's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, which we'll get to some of the stuff that we, we well, at least I completely agree with. Um, this one probably was more beneficial for him and the fans' view of him. I want to stay. I want to, you know, I don't want to go anywhere. Than it is for his ability to actually get an extension with the team. Right. So there's the stay or go aspect. Probably strategically uh, not good with the team. But 
you know, it definitely puts him out there for the people who are, are, you know, on team Strowman, so to speak. I agree a hundred percent that he's trying to, he's trying to do something with his own image there, but he did say some other things about competition. And I think those ones are maybe the, 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 the common strain we've been hearing from a lot of players this year. Sorry, you cut out there. Sorry, the, the common strain where that, that players are, are harping on this year, that they don't see teams competing. Yeah, and this was the one that really I think that a lot of people can agree with. Now, and Josh Kuznick is going to get into this too later, but in the Jays case specifically, you can understand why they're like, I'm not going to go get Dallas Keuchel or or Craig Kimbrell or something because where they are on the wing curve, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be going to get good players. Mm-hmm. And, and they, you know, or or trade for whether whether that be in free agency or via trade. There's there's no reason that you can't start anticipating who needs to be around Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bobachet now rather than seeing how they are and then trying to guess who you might be able to go get later. Like, if there's someone available now or if you can make a trade now that sets you up for two to three years down the road, why would you... It seems like they're not even trying to do that stuff. Bryce Harper. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Was that... It's a funny thing going on with that microphone. Um, yeah, and, you know, the, the Padres just did it with Manny Machado. But, and, you know, he he said what a lot of people, and, and he specifically is a player, right? They want to win. Yeah, not three they years from now. Yeah, he doesn't want to be in a team that's rebuilding for a year or two. And he, he's only here for a year or two more, uh, potentially. And that obviously led, of course, to Vlad Guerrero Jr. Mm-hmm. He wants him up on opening day. <laughs> I think every single player wants him up on opening day. Every fan wants him up on opening day, but it's not going to happen. Nope, because in order to delay his free agency by an entire year, and that's an order of magnitude of money that's huge, um, the the smart play for the team is to not bring him up until his Super 2 status has expired. And it's one no, of the... No, not the Super 2. Sorry, just... the, um, the free agency ter- service clock has an adv- will not advance a full year. Yeah. And that's just the way it's going to be until they renegotiate the CBA. Yeah, I know it sucks, right? <laughs> like, I don't know what to say about it. It's wrong. I agree 100%. It's it's, you know, it's ethically shady. Um, but it's it makes perfect business sense under this agreement. Yeah, I know all of the, you know, the anger which is very rightfully placed about them two teams doing this. It's not going to change it until it gets changed in writing because there's no incentive for them to not do it. It's not like the Jays are in a situation where every game is going to determine, like where three weeks of latted bats is going to determine the playoffs or not. It's not. Well, we don't believe it is anyway. It would be hilarious if they lose out on a playoff spot by two games <laughs> and Vlad is a monster. How angry are people going to be about those two weeks without him? Justifiably very. There was one thing. So Strowman, before we get to the leadership thing, when Strowman was addressing his specific struggles, he said the thing that I hate and that you hate, that the reason he was bad is because he was pitching hurt. Yeah. Yeah. We're not fond of that around here because uh, the cure for, you know, pitching hurt is to not do it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I went on a little mini rant about this on Twitter. I, I hate when players play hurt and are bad because you're not helping anybody by doing that because you're not helping yourself heal and you're losing. Both bad. Yep. Yeah, it's, now, it's, with, it's doubling down ahead. on stupidity. Yeah. Now, with Strowman, though, <laughs> I kind of get it. Because, I mean, this was the guy who miraculously healed from a torn meniscus or ACL or whatever it was ACL. in yeah, in five months <laughs> and pitched in the postseason in 2015. And he probably, because of that, has this belief, well, rightly or wrongly, that he can heal very fast. That still doesn't require that you pitch hurt. You still must no. heal first. It's true. Yeah, it was bad. And... You know, it makes it, it – it was actually makes a lot of sense because you look at his performance in the beginning of last season. He was walking a ton of people. 
and he gave up more home runs in his first seven starts before going back on the DL than he gave up for the rest of the season. All in the name of, I guess, you know, a little bit of pride that you can, you know, tough it out or work through it or whatever else. Um, we yeah. talked last week about players' inflated sense of self-worth. <laughs> Maybe that's an example. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll move on well, to, to leadership. No. No? Yeah. So this was another thing that Marcus Stroman brought up specifically. And he's like the lack of veteran leadership in the clubhouse. This one, I think, probably bothered some people. People named Justin Smoke and Kendris Morales? Yeah, or Clayton Richard, or Matt Shoemaker, or Freddie Galvis, or <laughs> this is John Axford. I mean, there are some veterans who've been around the game in this clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And we're even specifically getting stories about how important Morales is as a teacher for Vlad and how Vlad Sr. basically told Vlad Jr. to do whatever Morales does. Yeah, and, and that is because they literally played as teammates um, and Morales was the rookie when Vlad was on the team. This was, a, I believe, a Sportsnet article? Yes, uh, that's correct. So not only is he a leader in the sense of, of a baseball leader, but but Vlad Jr. is familiar with Morales as a person. They 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 met you know, through his father and, and they have, they have known one another at least, you know, in passing since he was six years old. Yeah. So I, I think that this, this particular, of all the things Stroman said, this one was one that was the most misplaced wanting them to go get veteran leadership. They have it. That's like, they, you know, I mean, they got rid of some guys that were like really good players who were veterans, but you know, if you want to say go get really good players, I don't think anyone would have a problem with it. Well, exactly. But, yeah. But, you know, and they brought up Carlos Gomez. Like, where's Carlos Gomez going to play? Uh, uh, they have 900 outfielders as it is. But specifically, you know, mentioning the lack of it. And then, like, the next day, naturally, we get all the stories about how Freddie Galvis is working with Lourdes Gurriel the last two off seasons. And <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, these guys are obviously not, I think Stroman maybe thinks that things sort of exist in a vacuum, you know, that these guys come out of nowhere if he doesn't know them personally. And obviously that's not going to be the case. These guys are, like you said, they are people who've been around the game for a long time. So it's not entirely surprising that they already have relationships with people on the clubhouse, just maybe not relationships with Stroman. And, you know, maybe he's talking more about pitching and he's, not really articulating himself very well. Yeah. One of the very interesting things to come out of this, though, this whole leadership discussion, so naturally because it was brought up, people interviewed Kevin Pillar, Justin Smoke, etc. Pillar had an interesting comment where he said, quote, this is from John Lott's piece, I've been able to process over this offseason how I want to go about it, being a leader, that is, things that I've witnessed, things that I really thought were a good way of going about it things I saw that I didn't really like from some of the veterans. That was interesting. He didn't say what those things were, but you you very rarely hear a player not talk about, sorry, try that again. You very rarely hear a player talk about things he didn't like from older players. It's always, I learned this, I learned this, I learned this, and I'm going to pass this on. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, going back to the Dirk Hayhurst, uh, days of him writing a lot about the game and how how some veterans treated it like you know their seniority was an exclusive club <clears throat> scott Rowland uh and bj ryan uh and other veterans didn't do that they they thought it was their duty to bring other players along um and teach them you know the sort of best practices i think that there there's always that going on but because you're on the same team maybe that the tendency to want to say that out loud just doesn't it doesn't pay off when you go back to the clubhouse yeah i totally agree with you but i think this is actually specifically a good thing i mean so Pilar's embracing this leadership role he really wants it um you know, i don't who knows how long he's actually going to be on the team but the idea that he's learning not just from the positives but from the negatives i think is says a lot about him in a good way yeah yeah it says he really did he did pause to think about all of the things that, that come with being a veteran, which shockingly he's like, is he the longest tenured player on this team at the moment? 
I think he has to be. <laughs> How do we get here? Okay, so uh, another, I, this isn't really a leadership move, but this is an interesting sort of respect play. Uh, we talked, I believe, last podcast, there was a question about Freddie Galvis wearing the number 19, was there not? Yes, there was, I think. And we said, well, it's not really retired, and anybody can wear the number 19 because that's how the Blue Jays roll. And Freddie Galvis is like, that was Jose Bautista's number? I I can't wear that. <laughs> so he switched to 16. So what do we know? Yeah, and there was an interesting... So when this story first came out earlier today, we're recording this on Wednesday, it came out as it was randomly assigned to him <laughs> and then a lot of people are like, what idiot staff are randomly assigned number 19? <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> he actually specifically requested 19 initially because he was a big fan of Marco Scudero, and Scudero wore number 19. And then he found out it was Bautista, so he switched. Nice, because, yeah, did, did Scudero actually wear... I thought... No, I could be wrong. I thought he was wearing 13, but no, maybe that was Vizquel. Um, yeah, Pascal was 13. Yeah. Uh, but that's funny. Uh, <laughs> I also am a fan of Marco Scudero, but it's not why I buy a number 19 jersey. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Paul Molitor, right? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Hall of Famer. Uh, I don't care about someone wearing number 19. I, I, I just don't because right. it's like, did, I didn't care that Aaron Laffey was wearing 32. You know, after holiday left yeah i mean it, it, it's it's not a performance affecting metric i do appreciate that someone would step away from a number when they realized it was another player's number as a nod to that player's impact on the franchise i, I appreciate that like i don't think he had to do it but the fact that he did do it i respect that oh totally i 100 percent agree with that you know he's he's honoring someone and he feels that he, you know, this is special in the franchise and he doesn't want to do it, which great. Good for him. I just meant specifically my view of the history of the number and the player is not altered by someone else wearing it unless it's retired, which two numbers are now 12 and 32. Right. But, you know, it's like uh, someone brought this up on Twitter. I can't remember who it was. And I apologize, you know, because I don't I, I, yeah, I should know. But. They mentioned it's like it doesn't change what you think of and how you perceive the number. It's like 19, I joked about it being Molitor, but it's not for any recent Jays fan. 29 for me is Joe Carter. I don't care that Devin Travis wears it now. No. Nope. No, there's, yeah, there's there's a number 29 in Blue Jays history who comes to mind. And then there's also, um, you know, uh, the guy who's wearing it now. But those two things are, you're absolutely right. No, I, they they are not necessarily connected at all. Yeah, so I think it's a kind of a controversy about nothing, or it was, and then it got resolved into actually nothing. Beautiful. All right. Since you said the word controversy, I think this is a good segue to our interview segment. <laughs> yeah, it seems reasonable. Player agent uh, Joshua Kuznick is coming up, and uh, he has been talking about how the players are getting uh, maybe the short end of the stick uh, and he's going to try and avoid lacing this interview with profanity coming right up after this I don't know where I'm going but I sure know where I've been hanging on the promises and songs of yesterday and I've made up my mind Welcome back once again, Joshua Kuznick. How's it going today? It's been it's been a lot. It's been a lot. <laughs> well, it's good. Everything every, every, everything's fine. I've been enjoying Twitter with this 102 degree fever. So, and now I'm talking to you. This will be great. All right. It's been 13 months since we talked, which, as you pointed out rightly, is probably too long. But 13 months ago, we were yeah, talking about. <laughs> <laughs> about a slow off season and how it was taking everybody by surprise and now we're talking about a really slow off season uh is it taking I, anybody by surprise anymore 
Well, I was going to say, can I parse your language? Who, who is, do you remember 13 months ago when I was saying, hey, what if they don't spend the money in 2019? None of this is a surprise to me. It's, it's pure capitalism. Somebody asked me earlier today, you know, attendance is down in a lot of cities, blah, blah, blah. And I stopped the guy from explaining that because if, if revenues are at an all-time high, right, and profits are at an all-time high, but viewership and attendance is down, what does that tell you about how important attendance is to teams? They don't care because their money doesn't come from there. So when somebody tells me about, say, you know, a team not being able to afford something, I, I would curse now, but BS. You know, like every team can afford anyone. Uh, it's ridiculous. I, I hate these answers. Hey, let's do simple math. Revenue sharing plus BAM tech money plus TV deal money means every team got $200 million the last two years. Okay, where did all that money go? That's all I'm asking. Oh, I think that's a yeah. pretty simple answer, really. It's in somebody's pocket right now, and it's not a player. <laughs> oh, right. So if the owners are pocketing it, where is the outrage towards the ownership class, and why the F am I getting blamed for this? <laughs> I am and not the, blaming you. <laughs> yeah, we're, no, we're, no, 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 not you guys. I, I mean, just you know, Joe Fan. Again, not to deep dive this one, but I brought it up a couple times recently. Uh, what's interesting in this is the ideological divide that these 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 these, these opinions fall upon. So, like, if you uh, are more conservative, you tend to have anti-labor views by and large, and if you are a, a liberal, you tend to be more uh, pro-labor. And trying to convince someone to change their mind in that kind of setting is akin to asking someone to change their political affiliation or their religion. It's impossible. So we have we have much bigger problems than just on the surface what's happening. I mean, this is a deep, deep-seated issue. And I just, again, not too much of a deep dive. And, and this isn't a judgment or an indictment, good or bad. It, it, it's not. But uh, baseball is America's pastime, and uh, it's usually reflective of America. So in the 60s. Uh, you know, it was that way. 70s, it was that way. 80s, 90s, whatever. Uh, and now Trumpism is uh, is getting into baseball. And uh, boy, since I didn't vote for him, I'm not enjoying it. But I imagine some people are. Yeah, well, we don't like hearing from those some people because they tend to be annoyingly loud. But so, I mean, given this, right, this, this idea that, that this is all happening, how much of a problem is it hearing not only just, you know, not ignored, but endorsed by the league with Rob Mansford coming well, uh, out there and essentially saying, hey, this is fine. What's wrong with you players? Oh, that's ridiculous. I, I even dropped an F-bomb towards Manford the other day, so I was looking forward to getting fined or in trouble for that. Um, and as we talked earlier, my hilarious headline of, of David Sampson, which as a, as a childhood Marlin fan, I cannot tell you what personally that meant to me. So, um, but with that being said, uh, it's just, this is, Verducci wrote an article yesterday and the headline was Manny Machado signed and free agency is totally okay. And I was angry at that. And <laughs> it was carrying the commissioner's office's water where everything's fine while the house is burning down behind them. Those guys were always going to get some form of their money. And it does not prove anything. Like, all these other veterans are signing one-year deals. The Tigers are going shopping right now because they can pick off guys on one-year deals. All of this is is totally planned and happened before. Um, if you just look at the numbers, uh, anecdotally, I don't even know if you can say this is innuendo, but the only times players' revenue has ever dropped while ownership's profits have gone up is during periods of collusion. So, like, how anyone just assumes this is an accident is, is amazing to me. It, it pisses me off. And to have people just say, this is market correction, and then everyone buys into that while I get dismissed, well, why am I getting dismissed? I'm not saying I'm 100% right. I'm not even saying it is collusion. I'm saying, why the hell am I getting dismissed when this has been proven three times and one of the owners who was part of those collusion lawsuits, Jerry Reinsdorf, is still an owner. Like, how am I crazy for saying that? <laughs> so I assume, you know, really the role of the union and, and of the is to to back the players up here and, and to carry their water for them. Is Tony Clark doing That's enough fair, of a job? That... Yeah, absolutely. Tony Tony's certainly saying all the right things. And I know they're working hard. I'm I'm vehemently pro union, so I'm a bit of a shill myself and a hypocrite. But um with that being said, uh, I think the I think Tony is is saying everything that his base wants him to say at this point. Could you make an argument they should have been doing this much sooner? 
I personally would have, but Tony's very measured and much more. Literally, you guys are more measured than I am. So, like, I, I totally get not being that aggressive. So it's not even a criticism. I just I would have done it a little differently. I probably would have been wrong. Um, I like what they're doing, by and large, uh, what they're trying to fix right now from years of interesting choices that I definitely did not agree with at the time. Um, I, I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to seem totally one-sided and just say ownership, ownership, ownership. The, the PA's decision-making helped lead us here too, uh, better for worse. So, you know, there's blame to go around for everyone. Indeed. Now, there you were talking about collusion, and I think sure. that there has been talk about, um, you know, I, this whole, oh, th- I got a bunch of offers from from – four different teams on the same day after getting nothing for a week. And, and they're all saying that their numbers tell me this is, this is what I'm worth. And it's all very similar. Uh, have, have you actually seen a player other than what was reported in the press who, who has had a similar experience? I've had to deal with that. So, I mean, I have, I mean, yeah. Doesn't that seem like super strong evidence that, uh, that there is, isn't really a magic box out of which all these numbers are coming. I I will actually defend the teams right now. When you boil everything down to an analytical level, you're probably going to get something really similar. I don't actually think that part of it's that weird. Um, that's the part of it I could totally buy being organic. The part I can't is it all happening around the same time where there's no offers, and then all of a sudden you get a flood of them. That's the part that's weird to me. Mm. I can believe that if you have a similar set of you know, data, you're going to come up with similar numbers. That, that, that isn't weird to me. Uh, it really isn't. But the, the, I don't want to say seeming coordination, but like the, so the way the off seasons worked the last couple of years is there were months of the off season where I knew, and I told my clients, we're not getting any offers. I've never had that before where I knew I didn't even have to bother talking to a team to until De- I didn't have to bother talking to a team until December why why can't i call anyone in november anymore like why doesn't anything get done um why do i have to wait for the winter meetings when we go to the winter meetings and the winter meetings are totally worthless now it seems it seems contrived it seems like you know bs again oh man this is hard me not cursing (laughs) (laughs) look if it happens we do have a button we can push (laughs) no i know i just i hate that i know how much that breaks everything up but we had a we had a we had a bleep me forty seven times in my last podcast. <laughs> that's that's pretty impressive. I think maybe next time you're on here, we can try to beat that record. Not this time, but next time. I'm not, all I'm all I'm saying is that's not the masterful part. The fact that we've talked for ten minutes and I haven't done one is the more impressive part. <laughs> Especially with the fever, maybe it's calming you down. Um, <laughs> and so, the medicine. <laughs> yeah. So you've got these offers all coming at the same time, and it seems like a lot of them are minor league offers and. Yes. What I'm wondering, we look, we see these these players who are major league caliber getting minor league offers, but how much of an effect does that have on the guys who normally get minor league offers? Are they just not getting anything? Oh, it's devastating. I mean, Carlos Asuaje is literally in Korea so he could opt out of the system. Seriously, like that's why he left. He he wanted out and he wanted to take care of his family and he knew he would never be able to do that stateside. And you're gonna see a lot of guys that were top prospects that want you know, used to grind it out to get the free agency. You know, however many years it took, those guys aren't going to do it anymore because that that role is not going to be available. I think you're going to see a shift in international markets where they're going to start allowing more international players. So you will see more and more guys leaving here to go over there, just like hockey. You know, you see hockey guys leave for the KHL all the time. I think if other leagues started to adopt some of that, you'd see a, a bigger problem here. But because there's no worldwide draft and there's no, it's just nobody's done anything yet. Um, I, I just think everything's been so stacked for profits. I mean, you're starting to see, you know, everyone talks about the analytics revolution, but you're also starting to see um, the wall street revolution in front office for offices. And uh, it's, it's commodifying every human being that is playing baseball and it's effing gross. And um, I hate dealing with it. It's not what I signed up for and it's terrible and I want no part of it. And I really like commenting on it far more than doing it. And to answer your question, the minor league guys are not getting jobs anymore at all. And if teams need to plug a hole later, then they'll bring in someone. And uh, it, it's it's really just it's 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 just because that no one cares about anybody anymore. Everything's sterile. Everything's a number. 
And if they could eliminate scouting and just make it a machine-based system, they would do it. Uh, they're trying to remove the human element from everything, and you can't do that in baseball because you could have the most talented, skilled player on earth, and if the mental makeup isn't there, what good is this? So I don't like this revolution because I essentially grew up with part of it as a Marlins fan as a kid, so I watched two World Series teams get destroyed before I, be, before I was an agent. And this is not some impressive model to me where – you, you know, the slash and burn where you blow up your team, you suck for three years, you get good draft picks, and then you win a World Series. You know, bull. Um, there, we, there we go. Um, I, no, but re- really, it, it is because it's what the Marlins always did back then. That's what they're doing. Every team is the 98 Marlins now. Every team is that team. Every team is essentially run by – by people that are would be totally happy to work for Jeff Loria. That's how every team is now. That's right. very depressing. Yeah. So it, it sounds... is. And I told you I'm not long for the baseball world because of that. Well, tell us more about that. You you uh, you were leading us on earlier. You said you had a post baseball plan, and and I'm curious, where does a man go after he he walks away from America's pastime? Uh, I, I walk into happiness. Uh, no, I, I I started two ventures with uh, with Carlos Aswahe and my vice president Samantha Newman uh, in the world of esports because it's uh, it's amazing. It, it's it really it's just so uh, undefined and no one knows what it's going to be and it's exciting and and the players are there and I don't mean about representation of esports athletes like there's just so many things the infrastructure they don't have right now and someone like me would never be able to do something like that in baseball but in esports they're like wow someone's leaving baseball for us so. For me, it's been a much easier transition. Plus, the interesting thing about esports for me, which was immediately appealing to me, was I walked into uh, TwitchCon, which is essentially the winter meetings for Twitch, and I went with a Swahe, and I walk in there, and it's the wild, wild west, and I just noticed that the good part of it is everyone there was young, old, black, white, gay, straight, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, young, old. So we can't that, – that that – Field hits every demographic. When in baseball, we we got old white guys. No offense. That's <laughs> eh, okay. We're, we're not offended. Yeah, we know. We're not, we're not. No, I'm just, no, I'm into the listeners. Like that's going to sound horrible, but I I mean demographic wise, that's what I'm saying. Is but I don't there's no one who doesn't play. Big, yeah, I don't think any of our listeners are going to be offended by that by that level of inclusivity. I think people are going to be pretty happy about that. Oh, uh, good. Excellent. I, I just assume baseball and conservative every time. So I'm not you li- guys. Just the they listen to us. So they. <laughs> no, excellent. But I, I, I think the, uh, I, I, again, it's because we're on the topic. So uh, as far as inclusivity, so today is Kurt Cobain's birthday, my freaking hero. And I remember the in utero liner notes saying that, you know, if you guys, if, if our listeners don't like gay people, black people, or women, don't buy our effing records. And it's like, I re- I'm like, that was the point where I started to adopt these views when I was 11. So it's just interesting that to see that viewpoint back in 93, when in utero came out, that was the minority viewpoint. And now about half the country feels that way, which is great. I wish it was more, but, uh, at least half do. So um, as horrible as things are, things are still better than 93 for a lot of people. But on the flip side, in the age of Trump, being a Jewish guy has been awkward for me, but that's not what we're here for the podcast. <laughs> definitely. Well, that's definitely a longer conversation anyway. But Yeah, deep dive I, for other things. But yeah. I never noticed I was Jewish until, like, the, the election of 2016. No one ever really brought that up to me until then, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. So just back to this venture you're doing, is yeah. there something specific mm-hmm. you bring from the world of being a yeah. baseball agent that people in that industry just don't know about? You guys are good at asking questions. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, actually. There have been so claims, yes. with, <laughs> Well, there's, there's, there's no one in that world that has, like, the level of, of labor expertise that I do. Like, there's no one. No one's come from another sport and, and really done something to help the players. They, they've, all, they've all gone in there to – take what they can get rich and get out of there. Or if you see some athletes who are like, I own a team and now I have a championship and it's like, okay, well, yeah. And I don't care about those reasons. I got into baseball to make money and make other people money. And I'd like to get into the other thing to make money and make other people money. That's my existence in life professionally. And I see a big group of people, whether it's baseball or not getting exploited. So it's another group of uh, where ownership is destroying labor. And in baseball, you don't really have that totally uh, because we have the union protections, but they don't have that in esports. So I'm just, 
it's staggering to me what they get away with there. Like ownership in esports is evil. Well, openly no. evil. I can't as opposed, say that. To, as opposed I can't, to secretly I can't evil. Say, <laughs> yeah, baseball, I don't think is evil. I don't. I really don't. I think they are. Uh, I don't think it's nefarious. I think it's just they are adopting business principles that Joe Fan will never like or understand. So let's use. Let's just. I can't do that or else I'll get in trouble from the PA. But <laughs> if you have a front office executive, no, if you have a front office executive, right, and he comes out to your fan base and say, hey, we did everything we could to sign this star free agent for a lot of money, and we were like $20 million short of what he ultimately got, but we just weren't going to go to $3 million. So zero in on that part of the statement. We just couldn't get there. We just couldn't get to $300 million. Okay, well, what's re- re- refreshing to me is you have a big group of fans right now asking why when about two days ago it was just me. That Indeed. is a good step forward. I oh. love it. I was, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this. And I'll tell you what, the teams that publicly bid on any of these big free agents and sold it to their fan base that they were going to be players and then they pulled up short at the end and lost that player, I would love to see what their attendance is at the end of the year. It's going to plummet. All right. I'm going to leave it there with the the <laughs> always thoughtful and in-depth uh, Josh Kuznick, although he is going at 500 miles an hour in-depth, which is uh, maybe not what we're used to. We, we appreciate am, your insights, 100%. Uh, I'm an energetic fellow. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of an energetic fellow. Uh, if they literally want to follow you on, on Twitter uh, to see where this all leads, uh, the Twitter handle is... At Joshua Kuznick. I was super creative when doing it. Yeah, I don't know where you came up with that. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get a brainstorming session going. You can help me out with one. I feel like <laughs> if you could just somehow combine your first and last name somehow, that would help. Hmm. Wow. I, I learned this one. I'm trying to think if I'm able to tell any of my jokes in my past life of being a comedian so it would be applicable to this, and it's definitely not applicable. So I'm sorry I have no jokes today. <laughs> All right, Josh. Thanks for joining us. You have a good one. Well, I thank you guys. I appreciate it. Have me back on, you know, before a year's up. And also one other thing, I know we could not touch on it, but for me personally, uh, I had a moment of wish fulfillment this year. And if everyone here that's listening could just go and look at my New York Post headline for me, we cannot talk about it on air, but that's the best moment of my professional life to the point where that headline's now on a t-shirt. Sweet. The podcast may, we may retweet this article link. God bless you guys. Also, I have a podcast, the Joshua Kuznick Experience, where if you feel like hearing me rant at like, like, like the, uh, the Micro Machines guy uh, for an hour, which I do not recommend, uh, you can still listen to that also at NatsGM.com. Awesome. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. All right, and we are back uh, from our whirlwind tour of Josh's mind. <laughs> and not me. No. Which you guys get every week. Yeah, and it's not as whirlwind as, as that. Uh, you know what? He's a very thoughtful guy. He just, I, I think it's hard to process because he thinks at about 245 miles an hour. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe you have to go back and listen at half speed, folks. I'm sure there's a function on your uh, your device to do that. <laughs> That was it. Was a fun interview, though. Absolutely, hundred percent. So, uh, following the interview, as is tradition around here, we do questions. That always works. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules: first, I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right. We had a first question from Colleen Evans at Colleen Evans 6 um, asking uh, about Marcus Stroman's quotes and seeing if we wanted to give him a do-over. We discussed Marcus at length, so we're not going to go to the do-over route. Uh, but she did ask a follow-in question on a, on a pitching front. She says, are there any available pitchers that you think the Blue Jays may still add, or are they done to start the season? I think they're still going to add on the pitching staff. Uh, there's just the way they did it last year, for example, and you know, like getting Sun 1-0 really late, they got uh, 
Tyler Clippard, who just signed elsewhere, and the recently re-signed John Axford. I, I think that's probably what we're going to see again, maybe a free agent reliever or even you know a, a free agent starting pitcher. If someone like Gio Gonzalez or Irvin Santana or someone like that just has their market crash, I could see them playing in those in those you know free agent levels. Yeah, they seem to uh, like every other team. They're just going to let it. Let it stretch as much as they can, and if something something in the right budget drops in their lap, I think they're going to go for it. Absolutely, you can yep. never have too many relievers. Okay. All right, uh, John Leggett at John Q Legs. Uh, if Bobachet goes all Vladdy on AAA this year, does he get called up in June to avoid Super Two status, or does management go all Vladdy on him and keep him down to work on his base running or something all year? <laughs> Can you imagine if they kept him down for just base running? Yeah. But so originally I I was a hundred percent going to say that I don't think that's going to happen. But then I realized he has the same forty man issue that Vlad did, where he doesn't need to be added. Right. So my what I think will happen is if Bichette really does tear up Triple A, he'll be up because the difference is Vladdy started in Double A. Right. And then he got hurt, and then he tore up Triple A. And that kind of gave the Jays a little more excuse not to bring him up. Whereas if if Bichette is just a monster in AAA from the start of the season, they can't really justify not bringing him up. So he'd probably come up after the uh, Super 2 cutoff point. All righty. Our next question is from David Lopez at DLopez1078. With the Stroman to the Padres rumors already back, What's a realistic package they could ask? Would you take on Will Myers' contract to get better prospect? Granted, it is way more money, but they have done that before. What do you think? Uh, so this came; these rumors came back because of the combination of Stroman's comments and Machado signing with San Diego. I don't know what a realistic package would be. I don't like for the same reason that we talked about with the contract lining up in value would be just hard in a trade. Uh, specifically, as for this contract thing, though. With Will Myers at the Diamond Talks event, which was held at during Winterfest, where uh, Shapiro was addressing the season ticket holders, and a fan asked generally about this concept of taking on contracts to get prospects back. And Shapiro said that they have called every team that they feel has a bad contract and tried to do this. And the reason he said they haven't been able to is because teams don't want to do it anymore because they have a better concept of surplus value. So if they think you know, this player is made being paid $20 million and providing $10 million of value. They're not going to give you a prospect who might be $40 million of surplus value because then they're minus 30. I think that's an interesting idea. I think teams maybe have really invested in some math that I, I don't know if you can really project that far out right like is there not still a lot of gambling here involved and teams are acting like every guy's you know within certain parameters a quote-unquote sure thing well no that wasn't really what he was trying to say it was just more that the idea of a good prospect is if they become what you think they're going to be they're going to project like they're going to be worth this over what you're paying them so even if you know they would have to be a significant hit less than that to justify just giving the guy away. And so teams don't want to do it. And as Joshua Kuznick said, they don't need to. They can afford to pay Will Myers. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is um, And we talked about it last week, and then Josh brought it up. Essentially, I, I didn't... He was going in a lot of directions, and I kind of wanted to go back to it with him. But but um, yeah, the the ticket revenue is not the main driver for teams anymore. So competitiveness changes your ticket revenue. But if that's not your important revenue stream, then why do you care to be competitive? Yeah. Well, I mean, in this case, the Padres are trying to be competitive, but specifically they don't need to get rid of Will Myers' contract because they have all this money. Right. The, you know, if Will Myers can provide them some value... Or Which even he does. If he, or if he ends up not providing them any value, they can afford to take that hit again because it doesn't affect the number of people that they have. They have the surplus to cover that kind of mistake without needing to save it. Um, they they can be focused somewhere else. All right, Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt. 
Uh, two-parter. I've heard a lot about how Trent Thornton has huge spin rates on his fastball. I, I may have added a few U's to the word huge. Uh, <laughs> and breaking ball. Is there any evidence that this correlates with having pitching success? However you define that. So we have talked a lot about outlier fastballs for the Blue Jays, specifically mm-hmm. regarding spin rate and how the Blue Jays are enamored of this concept. So the idea is it it does do something to draw attention, but I think that is a valid question. Does it mean you're better, or does it just mean you're different? Well, no. The, the, I mean, the answer was the question was: Does it have any evidence that it correlates with success? The answer is yes, it does. But there's just there's more that goes into it. For example, like Marcus, Marcus, wow, Marco Estrada's outlier fastball was really useful when he was locating it because the the high spin rate and the angle were making it rise more, and therefore people were popping it up like crazy, which we saw for two years. But when he wasn't locating, it didn't matter. Right, so spin it, rate alone will not save you. Now, in the case of a curveball, however, the more the curveball spins, the more it's going to move. And Not the true. more a pitch moves, the better it is and the harder it is to hit. So, yes, there is a correlation. You still, again, need to be able to locate. You need to be able to sequence. All these things still come into play heavily, but this does give you a, a bit of an advantage. Um, if you're talking to people and you're wondering about some of the physics of what does happen to a baseball on its way, um, either off the bat or out of the pitcher's hand, I do um, recommend on Twitter at POB guy, physics of baseball guy, um, who's mm-hmm. Professor Alan Nathan, um, who does have a bunch of articles on this and papers, and and he talks to other people about things he's been seeing or things they've been studying. So he's a fun follow. He doesn't tweet every day. Um, but certainly when something comes up, he's he's the guy a lot of people will go back to and go, okay, what are we looking at? Or does this seem legit to you? So if you're interested in that sort of thing, he's a good follow. And just before you get off this topic, there's also a really good article at Driveline Bases uh, Baseball. So, you know, a previous guest, Kyle Bodie, about the spin on a specific type of two-seamer and how it changes the movement. You should go read that too. All right, Matt's second question. With Galva seemingly getting the most shortstop at-bats, does this mean Gurriel gets most of them at second base? What is the point of Brandon Drury, then, apart from blocking Vlad for 15 games? <laughs> Let's not break it down too much. <laughs> yeah, I think Gurriel's going to play all over, the, all over the field. And this, you know, he was thought to be that anyway. A guy who was going to be like a super utility player, like a Ben Zobrist or Marvin Gonzalez type. That's what they were talking about before he came to the big leagues. And I think the, the assumption that nobody's going to be hurt or nobody's going to need a day off or everybody's going to be what we think they are at this precise moment, um, I think that plays into the Blue Jays keeping some surplus infielders around. Yeah, and you know, Gurriel will play short. He'll play third because Vlad's not going to play every day. And he'll DH some days and things like that. And, Drew, and he'll play second. He'll, he'll play left. I think we're going to see a lot of gloves from Lourdes Gurriel this year. Um, hopefully a lot of Big bat- at bats too, because it was yeah. fun when he was getting two hits every game, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, sure was. <laughs> All right, uh, question he... for you now. Oh, for me, okay. Kate Sandwick got OK Stan. Yeah. What do you predict the Blue Jays' spring training record will be? Uh, let me. Okay, hang on. There was a. No, I left my crystal ball in one of these drawers here. I. Uh... <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to make it go without it because I can't. I can't seem to lay my hand on it. All right. How many games do we think are in spring training this year? About 30? Is that my ballpark? 35? If... 35? Uh, I think the Blue Jays will be uh, 16-20. It's 36 games, but we're close. Why? No reason. Because none of these games <laughs> in the, the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, you will not be able to name the person who drove in the winning run in half of these games a, a day after it happens. Yeah, I think the Jays will be a little more interesting because they have so many position battles and so many young guys that we might see more of that, more you know, players we know later in the games, but there's still going to be a lot of things you don't know. I'm sure at some point in the spring training, I will see Ricardo Nanita playing on some team somewhere and go, oh, okay, that's how it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to flip it, though. 20 and 16, they're going to win more than they lose. Games of the spring. All right. Last one. This is a fun one from Luke at Split Letters. The Blue Jays have decided to construct six commemorative statues for around the dome, and you're in charge of the committee that decides on the statue themselves. What do you have commissioned? Six. That's a lot. 
of commemorative statues. Yep. Um, so I think we have uh, Joe Carter um, in midair over a base, literally jumping up and down. Uh, we obviously have Bautista um, at the moment of discard on the bat flip. Uh, we have um, Alomar with his hands up in the air um, after mm-hmm. hitting the home run off of Eckersley. Uh, what else do we have? We See? have um, Gruber diving to try and make the uh, the triple play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a it's a. Uh, if you're going to go with anything there, it's Devo going up against the fence. But I think you need George Bell falling to his knees. Yeah, at the uh, in Exhibition Stadium. In the so we're Alomar, Carter, Bautista, Bell, a holiday thing. What holiday just him thing? Pitching. Yeah. Just, just a picture, just a statue holiday. of Roy Holiday because he's freaking Roy Holiday. And then Dave Steve after his no-hitter. All right. And we just shafted Carlos Delgado, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Too bad, Carlos. <laughs> Next next time, Carlos, statue number seven. We're going to get to you. <laughs> I feel like Tony Fernandez is wondering why he came back for a third tour if he can't get one freaking statue out there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth tour. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's still playing somewhere. All right. Uh, do you, you, you have any, uh, any that I, you know, you, nope, you approve of all it. my choices? All right. Groovy. Okay, so uh, we were talking, and and I mean, we've talked a lot about it. Chances of Blue Jays winning the World Series this year, very low, super low. Uh, so I think that, that kind of puts a pall over the whole discussion this season. So I thought, you know, it's not like the Blue Jays aren't going to win anything. Uh, and an article came to my attention from fanjuicer.com, which sounds like I have my ad blocker on, and it, <laughs> I'm really hoping I send people here. Because we'll have a link. Uh, that There aren't <laughs> as many ads as I'm anticipating on this particular site. Uh, so he, uh, the, the people at Fanjuicer, did a poll. And, and because it's difficult to, um, to do a poll of 30 things and rank them, uh, they decided that they would use something called a max diff ranking. So they explain how they rank things uh, by people only picking up from a few logos at a time. And then everything going... Uh, into a big database to figure out what the most pleasing MLB cap insignia is. And the Blue Jays are number one. They won most pleasing cap insignia, 172 points to 158 over the Detroit Tigers. So when people tell you the Blue Jays aren't going to win anything this year, you can tell them they already did. It's going to have to become a recurring segment on the podcast, (laughs) things the Blue Jays can win. I feel like it's going to be a stretch to get this up to weekly, but but maybe bi-weekly. I said recurring. I didn't say weekly. <laughs> uh, by the way, the Tampa Bay cap get 23 points on this scale. So apparently no one buys it for aesthetic reasons. No one buys it, period. Oh, because there are no <laughs> Tampa Bay fans. There you go. All right. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, Josh? No, I'm heading down to Dunedin. So the next time we do one of these, I'll be giving my reports from the road. Cool. And that's always it's always fun to go see spring training. So if you ever get the chance, you should do it. I, I understand that it's expensive and difficult. I'm lucky that my parents live down there, so I have a place to stay. But it's spring training is just fun. If you're a Jays fan, it's a lot of fun if you get the chance to do it. My recommendation would be do not go this year. Go next year when the backfields will be open again. True. Um, apparently that's the real the real soaking up of the experience is an opportunity to see guys you know not in a game situation which I can see how that would be interesting to the, the tried and true baseball fan so I'm a little bit jealous of you to be perfectly honest I'll accept it alright so um, <laughs> uh, you have been uh, Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been uh, Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and our guest was uh, Josh Kuznick at Joshua Kuznick Like I said earlier, I don't know how he came up with that. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 130. We'll talk at you next week.